know what that thing is? It's an old geezer. <laughs> I mean geyser, sorry, geyser, old geyser. Old faithful, indeed. Many of us have seen old faithful. Beautiful, unbelievable. Why is this geological thing called a geyser called Old Faithful? Nearly every 91 minutes, Old Faithful geyser or geyser erupts, shooting 3,700 to 8,400 gallons of boiling water into the air to reach an average height and so forth and so on. It's been going on for a very long time. Very long time. Discovered in 1870 by the Washburn Expedition, Old Faithful Geyser was named for its frequent and somewhat predictable eruptions, which number more than a million since Yellowstone became the world's first national park in 1872. And so it can be almost predicted when Old Faithful will spout again. Thus called Old Faithful not called new faithful. Not called new faithful. Because if it were new, I'm not sure it would be able to be called faithful yet. Because when we think of the word faithful as an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, it has overtones of over a long period of time. You can be faithful in a small thing, as we're called to be. You can be faithful in a crisis, But when we think of faithful, we think of the old family dog. Oh, she was a faithful old dog. Over the course of time, the the, the quality, the characteristic of this dog was it was loyal. It was consistent. It was always there. As we talk about fruit of the Spirit, this is number seven, um, characteristic or quality of fruit of the Spirit called faithfulness. Trustworthy. We read the phrase and we quote the phrase often in Scripture, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It again has the implications of over the course of time. That is why we asked two old geezers to share this morning I have found in my life that men and women who have walked with God for many, many years, it does something to them. Something over the course of time happens in them. There is a softening. To hear Rob say, I don't think I can get through this. Because that is God's work in him. I've I've shared this in, in the past. My own father passed away at 80 years old and he walked with God. My father pursued God all his life. And I, of course, knew my dad all my life. And my dad was strong. Um, he was not a crier. But in his last years of his life, when he would talk about God, he would begin to weep. And I would watch and go, this is my dad. God has been doing something in my dad's life all these years. 
I saw it and I see it in Pastor Mike. When Sue and I first came to IBC in 1984, Mike Jones is in his prime. And then I was gone, we were gone for 20 years and we came back and I got to work right alongside Pastor Mike and I tell you, I was something in that man that had changed. I'm telling you, it's the Spirit of God doing what God does in lives. And for all of you in here who are aged, whatever that means, (laughs) whatever, I see it in my brother, Pastor Aaron. In the years that we've gotten to be together, working together, ministering together, I see God doing things in my brother's life. He too can testify to the faithfulness of God in his own life. As all of us can who have followed Christ and pursued Christ in our lives. Faithfulness, this this quality of faithfulness begins with God. He is our faithful God. That's the beginning and that's the end of it. This is where this comes from. As we talk about a fruit of the Spirit, it is a godly quality that by the power of the Spirit works in us and that quality then is produced in us and through us over the course of time. God is faithful. God is a faithful God. When he says he's gonna do it, he will do it. Always. Matthew 5 tells us this, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Numbers 23, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? He always does what he says he will do. So what is it that he says he will do? (laughs) What are those things that he says, I'll do it, and he does it? Well, I want to just introduce two perspectives. On a grand scale first, God is faithful. On the macro, on the huge scale, God is faithful. How do we see this in Scripture? We can go back to Genesis and we, could, we can go to that passage in Genesis 12 where God speaks to Abram before he's Abraham. And he says this in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you of you a great nation. I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And then there's this. He's talking to one man. God is talking to one man, and he says, from every, sorry, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. One man, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That is a grand plan. And what is that blessing? It's salvation. It's redemption. It's reconciliation to the Father. And God is saying, Abram, I'm going to do this through you. All the families of the earth will come to salvation because of you. That's a big promise. Does it come true? 
Does God truly keep his word? Well, if we jump to the end of the story, we go to Revelation in chapter 7, and this is what we read in Revelation chapter 7. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. There they are. All those families that God promised to bless through Abraham, Abram at first, who became Abraham, are now standing around the throne. And here's what they are saying. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They have been redeemed. This is our faithful God. In fact, he is doing it, even now. But how does he do it? God says, I will do this thing, I will redeem, I will save, I will reconcile families, people to myself. How does he do it? There are so many ways that God does it. He is the most creative God. In the New Testament, when Jesus was on earth, we read how he took the disciples and he sent them out two by two. And they went door to door and they went out sharing about who Jesus was. And people came to Christ. Much like our high schoolers did when you guys went to Denver. You were sent out in small groups, in pairs, and so forth. And in that week, 50 people were redeemed. 50 people that week in Denver came to Christ. You all? Those 50 people are going to be standing around the throne. (laughs) A couple weeks ago, we had VBS here. You know, there were a number of children who professed faith in Jesus Christ for the first time in their life. Those children are going to be standing around the throne. And they're going to be singing and worshiping praise to the Lamb, praise to the Father. God is getting her done. In all kinds of ways. Daniel in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thrown in the fiery furnace. Unscathed. To the point where people look and go, they worship the one true God we believe. Paul on his missionary journeys went town to town. He would preach on the street corner. He would preach if there was a temple He would go down to the riverbank and find people. One time, he's even shipwrecked with a bunch of people. If you'll recall, somebody got bit by a snake. He prays and the person is healed and people are going, whoa, what's that? He shares the gospel. God uses so many different ways to draw people to himself. A missionary in India a number of years back, he and his two sons were killed violently, terribly by terrorists. His wife and daughter were at home. They were unscathed. This news traveled across the country of India. This woman, this missionary, wrote to the prime minister and said, I forgive those who have done this to my husband and my sons. As God has forgiven all of us, we love India in the name of Jesus. And the prime minister was moved to say, truly, You worship the one true God. For those of you who have taken the course called Perspectives 
on the world mission on the world mission Christian movement perspectives. It gives the sweeping, broad perspective on how God has been moving over the course of time. In there, there's, there's a great little piece on, on, on the ways that God has been doing this. And one, they call it involuntary missionaries. Involuntary missionaries. And the example of that is those who have been forcibly removed from their home, taken somewhere else, who are followers of Christ, and they have an influence to wherever they are taken. We have such an example in 2 Kings, Naaman, who was the Syrian commander of the army. And he, they had taken slaves from Israel. And in his own house, there's a girl who is a, a Jewish girl. And Naaman has leprosy. He's the big man. He's the commander of the Syrian armies. He's just under the king of Syria. He's a big dude, but he's got leprosy. And he doesn't know what to do. And this little Jewish girl goes, you should go see the prophet in Israel. Elisha. Oh, really? So he goes to the king of Syria and says, here's what this little girl in my house says. I should go. And the king goes, yeah, go. So he goes. And he ends up being healed. And in the end, this is what this... Reprobate, this heathen man says, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. This is how God works. All kinds of creative ways down through the ages as he is drawing people to himself. That's his grand scheme. He is faithful God. He's getting it done. That's the macro. There's also the micro. Person, personal God that he is. He is faithful to us personally. He is faithful to you personally. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He began the work in you, he will bring it to completion. There's the start. I can't help but think of, of Hebrews. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter, the starter and the finisher of our faith. See, there is a whole process there that he promises he will bring it to to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We are all in this growing process. It's God doing it. He is faithful to do that. In 1 Thessalonians, we read, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. The sanctification process. He's helping us to become conformed to the image of Jesus. More like God as we grow in him. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Oh, I take great, great comfort and encouragement from these verses. God is doing it in me. He is at work in me. And it's going to take my whole life. That means I I don't have to be in a rush. That means I don't have to be anxious that God is doing it. In Romans 8, we read, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That being conformed is we're being changed. This transformation is taking place in who we are. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined... He also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So there's a lot of theology in this verse. 
We won't dig into all of it. Let's just say there's a process that is taking place. Our justification is through Jesus Christ, who has paid our debt, and we are made right. We are made just before Almighty God, through covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our position is settled. Then there's a sanctification process that is taking place. That is this journey that we are on as we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind through the power of the Holy Spirit in us until we are complete when we get there on that day when we come into his presence. But it says then when we come into the presence, we are glorified. That word glorified means there's no more sin. There's no more sin. There's no more temptation. The sin nature is done We are glorified in his presence, hallelujah. But here's the thing. The way this verse reads, it says, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Past tense. Past tense. Why is it in past tense when it hasn't happened yet? It hasn't happened for us because we're still sitting here. Because here's what it's saying. It's as good as done. It's as good as done. That's our faithful God. It's as good as done. He's even used in past tense. That's how sure that God is moving you along as you trust him and you seek him and he's moving you along. He's conforming you to the image of Jesus and it's as good as done that when you are in his presence, glorification happens. No more sin. Hallelujah. God will do it. Point number two, number one was God is faithful. Point number two, how about our faithfulness to God? Our faithfulness, first of all, needs to be focused on who God is. I want to say this, faithfulness and obedience go hand in hand. They're so closely related, they're almost one and the same. I think one is the manifestation or the demonstration of the other. Our obedience is a demonstration of our faithfulness. Our faithfulness is proven by our obedience. We know the beautiful book of Ecclesiastes, and at the very end, it's as if through the whole book, the author is saying, man, just explored everything, checking everything, it's all vain, blah, blah, blah. We come to the end of the matter at the very end. The end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments. That is our call to faithfulness, our call to obedience to the Father. That's what we've been called to do. Let's remember this is a fruit of the Spirit. That means it comes from him. He will help us to do that. 1 Samuel 15, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices As in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. We are called to obedience. If we're wondering how do we be faithful, the answer is be obedient. Just obey what God has put in front of you to do every day. That is faithfulness. How is faithfulness cultivated in us? I think there's two ways. One is God's doing it, as we've been pointing out. Faith, or faithfulness, yes. Faithfulness is cultivated in us by God himself. In every sermon in this series, we, every time we speak about this, it's very clear it's a fruit 
of the Spirit. It's not something that we conjure up and I can do this. I can show joy all the time. I can have love for everybody all the time. In my own strength, I cannot. These are fruit, these are evidences of the Spirit's work in us. Same with faithfulness. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. It's referring back to when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he was in the presence of the Lord and his face was glowing so so much that they covered his head with a veil because you couldn't look at him. He was in the presence of God. And it's contrasting that saying, but now... We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image that Moses was, from one degree of glory to another. There's the process again. From one degree of glory to another. This glory is God's work in us. This glory is God helping us, growing us in our faithfulness to him. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Second thing is, I think, not only is God doing it in us, but we have a part to play in this as well. I think we should pursue it. We must be aware of it. That is very important. Godly qualities, the fruit of the Spirit, are all very attractive. And when we exemplify, when we manifest fruit of the Spirit and these qualities of the fruit of the Spirit, it is attractive. Last week, George shared the verse, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Because those good works, like now, our faithfulness, people see that and they're attracted to that and it points right to the Father. That is how faithfulness is cultivated. Seeking the Lord, Walking with the Lord, growing in the Lord, being obedient to the Lord, being aware of this particular quality, pursuing that in our lives, but we pursue him in that because we cannot do it in our own strength. Hebrews eleven six at the end, it tells us that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I think part of that reward is the, the transformation that he is uh, bringing about in our lives. Point number three. So far we've talked about God's faithfulness to us, our faithfulness to God, but how about our faithfulness to one another? How about the horizontal view, perspective on being faithful to one another? Hebrews 6, 10, to 12, 10, 11, and 12 says this, For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. As we seek God in our lives and our vertical relationship then, the fruit of that is an outpouring towards one another and a faithfulness to one another, God takes note of that. It doesn't go right by him. He sees that. 
He remembers our work. He takes note of the love that motivates our work. God is pleased with that. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord is you pursuing him in your life that he then might be flowing from your life. No matter what you do in your life, in terms of work, play, whatever it is, in your relationships horizontally, this is where the outflow of your vertical relationship, your faithfulness to God, his faithfulness in you, your faithfulness then to each other, to others. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. We are called to be faithful. What does that look like practically? If we're called to be faithful this way, with this uh, perspective, from this perspective, what does that look like? Well, if you're married... Spouses, you are called to be faithful. You remember saying something like this? I, your name, take you, your spouse's name, to be my lawfully wedded wife or husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, or for poorer. And we know that poorer Any of these create stress. And yet this is a pledge to be faithful, to love and to cherish till death do us part according to God's holy ordinance, and thereto I pledge you my faith. You who are married made a promise, solemn promise before God and before witnesses to be faithful to one another through thick and thin. There is one way to be faithful. We are called to be faithful to our children, those of us who have children. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We as parents, no matter what, are called to be faithful to our children. Children, all of us in here are children. Maybe your parents are still alive, maybe not. If your children are still alive, or your parents are still alive, you are called to be faithful to your parents. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Employers, employees. We could elaborate on what that should look like in the workplace. As an employee, you be faithful to fulfill the tasks given to you. Employers, be faithful to those who are working for you in all the ways that that means. Matthew 25 says, in everything, in every circumstance, be faithful. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There is a joy that comes at the end because of our faithfulness. Let me end in this way. Again, faithfulness and obedience go hand in hand. To obey is to be faithful. If God has asked us to do a certain thing, we demonstrate our faithfulness to him by doing that thing. It does not say anywhere in scripture, well done, good and successful servant. 
They don't say that. Well done, good and successful. None of them doesn't say that. Well done, good and faithful servant. We are called to be faithful. The outcome is in God's hands, always. Never in our hands. That is up to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. May we, IBC family, individually, as a church, be found faithful. There are times that we stumble, that we fail, we fall short. But God is merciful, God is gracious, he forgives us, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness when we confess and repent those things. May we be found faithful in every area of our life for his glory. Would you bow with me, please? Lord, we give you praise for who you are. You have shown us faithfulness. You will continue to show us faithfulness all the way to the end when we are in your presence. So Lord, help us by your spirit to to, to continue to pursue you, to be faithful, to be obedient to you, Lord. For your glory, not ours. And Lord, we love that you are at work in us. That in your faithfulness, Lord, you are changing us and you are conforming us more and more to the image of your Son. So we give you all praise this morning. Lord, we desperately need you. Thank you for the promise that you are with us and that you are doing your work in us. From the first day we trusted you, we come into your presence. So Lord, we give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. 